We're very happy to be partnered with our friends at Gulfstream Park promoting the all-turf pick three wagers throughout at least the month of January. We're going to be doing these this month, Saturdays and Sundays. We're going to be adding Fridays to the lineup in January. $3 minimum, 15% takeout. These are super player-friendly wagers and a great way to focus on all the fantastic action at Gulfstream Park. Speaking of Gulfstream Park, there is a mandatory payout on Saturday. The pool is expected to be over $2 million, and it starts with race number six at 235. Four stakes races, two grade threes. We got it all covered on our other shows. Well, we have the all-term pick threes covered on our other shows. Also, just a reminder, racing Christmas Eve and also on Boxing Day. So keep Gulfstream Park in your holiday wagering plans. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our late week show for December 22nd, a Friday, just about to get to our fifth anniversary show, which is coming up. We're going to be recording that. We're actually going to do it live. Folks want to tune in. We're going to do that at uh, noon Eastern, I think we said, or was it one? You'll have to check YouTube. I apologize. We moved it around a bunch of times. It'll be at some point Saturday afternoon. You can, of course, catch the archive on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital coming back to you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Just two segments on this show. Lots of stuff elsewhere in the feed. But we're going to kick things off by bringing in a man you've been hearing who's been bailing me out as I've wrestled with this illness that I think I'm finally on top of. You read him all the time over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you? Hanging in there. Finally doing a little bit better. What's what's Christmas in in, uh, in Houston looking like? It's looking warm, relatively speaking, but um, there's a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of weather supposed to come in and make it, I don't know, maybe slightly more uh, slightly cooler as we get closer to the uh, to the holidays itself. But yeah, no snow, no snow, in, no snow no in Texas. Snow. No, 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 no snow at all. Um, none of that. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait for a different year. We had some snow back in February of 2021 that was more than enough for us to last for quite a while. So, <laughs> is it the kind of thing where everybody just freaks out and forgets how to drive? Oh, my God. It's, it is beyond that. People here, people here seem to have a hard time driving when it's raining, and it rains 60 inches a year here. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a kind of place where you really need to be familiar and comfortable with driving. So with driving in the rain. And so, yeah, no, no, no white Christmas, but uh, I think I'm going to do New York strips and stuffed deboned chickens for, oh, for Christmas. Lovely. So yeah, found a, found a, a butcher on the North side of town that does a lot of stuffed deboned chicken. So I'm going to try and pick those up that this afternoon and yeah, and let it, let it get ready for Monday and, I don't have to cook Christmas Eve. Luckily, I'm only Christmas Day, so good. It gives me a little reprieve. This has been a recurring theme across all the shows I've been doing, and, and you're a perfect person to ask. Did you did you grow up with some version of the, the Feast of the Seven Fishes? I did. I did, yeah. We didn't do it uh, We didn't do it so much early on. We did it a little bit later. So we had a, we had a close family friend that 
was also my dad's boss for years that we spent Christmas with most years. And so we would go to his house on Christmas Eve. He, of course, was Jewish, but celebrated Christmas as a party, you know, as well as anybody. And <laughs> um, and so we always went to his house and that was kind of a surf and turf kind of thing. So no complaining nice. about that at all. But then he passed away in 2009. And so after that, we kind of got into the seven fishes. And so, yeah, I mean, my mom kind of put her own spin on it some years. She would would maybe, you know, make like a big uh, linguine pescatore and put in like three or four fishes in there and kind of eat up a lot of it. But she'd always do some type of appetizer that had uh, crab in it. So one year she made a crab cheesecake. One year I made crab cakes. Uh, my dad always liked cod. So we would we would often eat the cod with uh, that you have to soak like crazy and then eat Bacala. it. Bacala, exactly, of course. Yeah. And we would eat it. We would eat it what he called Italian style, which was with tomato sauce and capers yeah. and green olives baked in the oven. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so we did it. You, did you, did you do it growing up? I didn't do it growing up, but we've gotten into doing variations. I don't have enough. Perrin is like decided when she was little, she loved salmon. She's decided she doesn't eat fish. So it's put a bit of a damper on it. But Susan is a, is a, is a real pescatarian. So we'll get a few different versions. A lot of years I'll make my own. We go a little scando. We, we were lucky enough in 2015 to spend one of the December weekends in, in Copenhagen and got to hang out with a lot of people there. And I love the way, I love the way that they're sort of snacky, you know, with these like homemade cured salmon and the pumpernickel and the capers and the whole thing. So we'll do a little bit of that. I'll grill, I'll find something that looks good down at the fish store and, and uh, grill that up too. We, we, so I sort of head fake towards it if we don't do it properly. I like it. I think I think that's a totally fair thing to do. I mean, that's that was always the challenge was that we had some some family friends that we spent the holidays with, one of whom didn't eat fish. Yes. So, it was, you know, kind of how can we how can we work that in and can we make him a steak and just sort of hide the rest of it? But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's and then, of course, I mean, the sheer the sheer terror on my mother's face the year that she made this, you know, gigantic pot. Actually, I think my dad made it. God rest his soul. He made he put mussels and clams and shrimp and scallops. And we ended up with probably nine or ten fishes that year. And uh, one of our one of our close friends, pe- people that I grew up with, we sit down to eat. We're about to eat. And her husband says, do you have any ketchup? <laughs> My mother was like, boy, it's a good thing I like you because there's not many people that I would give ketchup to to, to do this to that. And no, that doused it in ketchup. A lot of Italian-American families, that would be cause for, for physical violence. So I'm glad. I'm glad that was able to be uh, to be avoided anyway. And the funnest part, we both have, uh, you know, uh, kids at an age where you get getting to see the holiday through their eyes is is for me the best part of it these days. I mean, I love it. I'm not a Grinch, but it, that just adds this whole other level. Yes, for sure. I mean, that's what it's all about at this point. And our theme for our tree and stuff this year was the Grinch. So we'll have nice. to make sure that, uh, that Alessandra feels as if the, the Grinch didn't win out this year. <laughs> Great stuff. Oh, I love the I love the five minute, you know, uh, Christmas meal um, uh, tangent. But we are here to talk about racing. And there's some good racing this weekend. Some very competitive stuff. Again, this show, we're just looking into Turfway on Saturday. And then a little bit later, Klaus will be here to talk about a really, really interesting race actually happening in the, the wee small hours of, of Christmas Eve over in Japan. But we'll kick things off with race number five at Turfway on Saturday, where, stop me if you've heard this one, big full field at Turfway. We've got 11 runners in this allowance rate race going a mile and a quarter race where stamina could come into play because there are actually some decent looking speed horses in here as well. Who do you think is going to get the money, Nick? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think from a pace perspective, it should be a pretty honestly run race. I think the two Lord of War is going to be forwardly placed and sort of force things along. And, and I think that, you know, that ensures at least a reasonable early gallop. And if they end up going too quick, I think it'll certainly take its toll. And that'll bring a horse like the, the four, uh, I'm sorry, the three Quadra Island into the equation. This is kind of a true router um, a, a track, I should say, really a true marathoner, um, as this horse was victorious at a mile and a quarter and then went a mile and a half at Keeneland against a, a pretty solid field of two other than company. No match last out for Wizard of Westwood off the turf at, at Churchill, but still ran, I think, a credible enough race. You also have more speed coming from uh, Chagoy, who should be forwardly placed, and I'm not sure uh, really good or underdressed will be all that far out of it. The horse that intrigued me that I think will be at least a decent enough price is the 10 Avenue. This is one that probably wants to go long when push comes to shove. He's a winner at a mile and three eighths. Actually, his last win came at a mile and three eighths on the turf at Del Mar, but most recently was third at, at Golden Gate. And, and I think that's a running line that I want to bet back. It was a slow, very slow pace. Yep. And this horse finished very strongly. I also get the feeling that with it being a Golden Gate running line, the majority of the public is probably going to think that that doesn't quite class up. And you know what, Pete, when push comes to shove, they might be right. But I have to bet it, um, and, and I do think this horse might even drift up a little bit off the 5-1 to one morning line. Um, the back class might be the problem there, but I'll take that gamble. And, and he was the horse that I kind of wanted to focus on here for Michael McCarthy, who you know is trying to take advantage of these enormous purses and the opportunities in Kentucky by having a, a, a string on the, up in Florence, Kentucky. We talk about it all the time, Kentucky with the KTDF money, uh, who sponsor these segments, becoming just a, a real year-round racing circuit. And it's been fun for the first time this December to be able to cover these races to this level of detail on these shows. Another angle for Avenue, um, third off the third race since being gelded, since off the layoff, etc. Just looks like one trending in the right direction. I really like your cases for both the 10 and the 3. Any others you wanted to mention who will possibly be on your tickets, or is it really all about those two for you? Those would be my main two. I mean, I think the horse I'd be inclined to try uh, that's, that's going to be forwardly placed would be the two Lord of War, because he's at least got some running lines where he sat a little bit off the pace. He's a five-time synthetic winner as well, obviously having spent a lot of time up in Canada. So he seemed to be the one that I could probably make the best case for, at least getting a good trip on the inside, maybe sitting a little bit off the pace. We've got stakes action in race number six, two-year-old Phillies with 125000 in the pot uh, for the, is it Gowl stakes? Am I pronouncing that right? Going six furlongs on the synthetic once again. Big full field of 12 expected here and uh, several in the betting on the morning line. Is this, is this race as competitive as the morning line makes it look? It is. It's really, really good. And and I'll tell you the other thing, Pete, is it is loaded with speed. There is a ton of speed in here. And, and this thing, I mean, if this field holds together, if this thing doesn't blow up, then no race ever could. Right. So I think that kind of that that obviously drives you in the direction of some of the of the off the pace types. I mean, you've got speed from the rail and Baraye. I would imagine that uh that this horse is, is likely to scratch. Wesley Ward is pretty fond of scratching to begin with. And yes. this horse drew the rail in a pace loaded race. I don't, I'm not really sure that she's going to come back. This is a horse that also was all over the inside the closing week at, at Saratoga. And, um, and I, of course came back and I knew was going to win it, you know, at a nothing price and came back and won at eight to five in her next start. But logistics has speed and Julia's dream has speed. Um, obviously you want to upgrade her a little bit being a two-time winner. Leslie's loot has speed. Candy girl has speed. I mean, this thing sets up so well for Pippet. And Kevin Attard brings this filly in off of a three straight three straight races against males, where she 
almost broke her maiden on debut against females and then immediately was whisked off to stakes company, won the Victoria, came back and eventually ran in the gray, which, you know, for, for people that aren't quite familiar with what the gray is, it's a, it's a two-year-old race at the end of the year that effectively is like the Canadian version of the Remsen or the Kentucky Jockey Club, the best open company two-year-olds run in there. And she chased the pace and tired late now shortens up in distance. I mean, this horse to me is like an auto bet. Uh, I hope that the competitive nature of the field maybe gets us to that four to one, nine to two, type of price because I think she's just very, very intriguing at that kind of number. I would be inclined in the multi-race bets because these things are such minefields at a place like Turfway to single her. And I think right. if you can can get her home at, at that kind of price, it could really create some separation. I'd probably use Julia's Dream as the next horse over Candy Girl. Um, I didn't really, you know, Julia's Dream's number speed figure wise came back better than I thought it would last time. I didn't really love the race she ran when I watched it, but I do think that I need to probably be a little less critical of her given that Flavian Pratt kind of put her in a spot where she was never really going to win by a lot backing that pace down so much. And so she, she handled her business. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I like the way, I like the way you describe how that dynamic played out and, you know, figure wise, it's it's still a competitive number, even without the benefit of a, of a faster pace early to, to set that up. So might be one, uh, you know, I wonder if they'll try a change in, in tactics, potentially. Uh, I, I would worry about maybe getting uh, caught up there on the pace, but I definitely, I take your point about that race maybe being a little bit a little bit better than it looked. And Pippet certainly seems like a good one. My only fear about Pippet would be I hope they don't get too excited and get caught up in that pace. I hope it's more of a of a sit or even clo- proper close like the like the uh, July 16th race as opposed to getting chewed up in that vanguard. The jocks are going to have to make the right decisions here, and that can get a little tricky sometimes. Yeah, I'm hoping they just run away from her. But, um, uh, yeah, right. this, should be, this should be Tyler Connor just letting her settle into her own spot, but I totally agree. I mean, I don't want her. I don't want her anywhere near the lead. Um, if, if, if this plays out the way it should on paper, of course, I think it's loaded with speed, so I'm sure somebody will wire. <laughs> well, if the ward the ward scratching would be the first step towards that uh, nightmare scenario, given the way you've you've, uh, you've you've broken down the race, let's move on to the hinge in this late pick five race. Number seven is an allowance race for Phillies and mares going a mile on the synthetic. One of those interesting situations on time form where the race is coded as uh, having a fast pace, but it's actually pretty spread out on the on the uh, on the on the top with, you know, maybe cat attack being faster than all the rest early. Uh, who's a 15 to one long shot on the morning line? How do you see this one playing out on the turfway synthetic? Yeah, I mean, Cat Attack has been involved in hot paces. It seems like one race after another. She's really quick and and seems to be at her best um, when she's forwardly placed. So I would assume they're going to take the same approach when they've raided her. She's been totally ineffective. So, I mean, it seems like a situation where they're just going to try and kind of bottom everybody out. Then you have a horse like Static Fire who has pretty consistently shown speed sprinting and stretches out in distance. You know, you and I grew up in an era where horses stretching out in distance always showed speed. Nowadays, trainers believe that they stretch horses out and they have to worry about whether they can go the distance. So they rate all of them. Don't know why you stretch a horse out if you were worried about whether they could go the distance. But I mean, with that said, you know, I would assume that you'll still, still see static fire somewhat forwardly placed. And then you move to the outside, you have Joyful Applause and Jungle Juice, both of whom seem to have that pretty consistent tactical speed as well. So um, I, it feels like a race that should be run at a pretty strong early pace. I mean, you know, I hate being Captain Obvious, Pete, but 
it feels like this race sets up really well for the six and seven flashy gem and Ravella, both of whom have been effective on this surface. Uh, flashy gem obviously comes out of a very good race. The Valley view yielded next out wins from both search capacity and heavenly Sunday, heavenly Sunday on dirt, but you know, still it was a good race. I don't want to hold it against her. This is just a massive class drop, right? And she's getting Lasix back on her last two starts with Lasix or a win at Ellis on the turf and a win here at Turfway that, uh, that then gave way to a Bourbonette second place finish. Ravella stretches out. She's been just as good around two turns. Uh, maybe really is on her way to getting even better now going to a second off the layoff spot. So I, I'm going to mainly use those two. I, I think that if there's an upset of those two, if it's, if it's not one of them, it's going to probably have to be a kind of a mid range stalking type. And so I guess the horse I can make the best case for is the one baby. No worries. Who's definitely facing softer competition than she did last time. I just really can't envision a scenario where one of those two doesn't win. Yeah, Baby No Worries is a little bit interesting because that was a pretty rock-solid number um, against Better the last day, but was 34-1 to there, and I don't know. I just I think you're probably right that the 6 and the 7 are going to get the best trips, and whichever one fires bigger on the day is going to get the job done. Can you split them much, or will you look to be playing the 6 and the 7 pretty equally? I'll probably play them pretty equally. If anything, I'd probably go with the 6 a little bit more. Um, because I do think she's a little bit likelier winner. So I, I think, I think I could probably, probably have an extra ticket or two on that one. All right. Race eight maidens, 70,000 in the pot, six and a half furlongs on the synthetic for this one. 11 more heading postward. Who's your idea of the winner? Boy, another tough one. I mean, another one where you've got to kind of get a little bit creative. The morning line favorite is the two Suncroft, a son of Arrogate who um, has been training really well for Brad Cox and looks like one where um, if he's got the kind of ability shown in the morning, he could probably be in there. Taster for the King on the inside has plenty of speed and should be forwardly placed as well. Um, the four Commandoro is cutting back in distance and has run well on turf. Obviously that usually gives, uh, gives you some indication that they can handle the synthetics. And the one that I liked the best was the 11. Now that I can rock who's getting back to the synthetic surface. He ran well on this strip in his first, in his second start for Brian Michael before going to the turf and the turf's not really been, the grass has not has proven to not quite be greener, but this is a horse who I do think on the, on the cutback and distance can really, uh, can really make some noise late. So I'm going to use every bit of the one, two, four and 11. I can see myself probably backing up a little bit with the nine. Also, it's a really, really competitive race. Bread and attempt to survive. Sounds like it, but the top pick six to one in the morning line, it feels to me like you might get all that on the, uh, on a runner like now that I can rock just because of the, there's so many alternatives. And I think some people might be turned off by the, by the over eight without realizing that this is a pretty significantly easy spot than anything that now that I can rock has faced previously. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's totally fair to say. And, and um, I think it's one of the angles that you have to kind of play on. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it's so easy to get negative about these seemingly exposed maidens. But when they're running at a new low level, I think it pays you, generally speaking, to, to look with fresh eyes and not get not get bogged down by that. When they're running at the same when they keep getting beaten at the same level, I, you know, I, I totally get it. Taking that idea that maybe they're just more of a, of a herd animal. But I think that might be a little premature in the case of the 11 here. 11, 1, 2, 4 with the 9 as a little bit of a backup is how I wrote down race number 8 for Nick. You can get that as part of the picks we send around with the uh, In The Money Plus service. In the slash plus if you want to learn more about that.
We close things out with our nightcap 955 on Saturday night. You can watch this and I don't know, maybe take a nap and get back involved for some JRA racing. We've got maiden claiming thirties, Phillies and mares three and up a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. When it comes to this late pick five at Turfway on Saturday, Nick, how are we going to get paid? You know, tough spot to end it for sure when we're dealing with a favorite that's a nine-race maiden dropping in for a tag, but Southampton Dock is really the one to beat. I mean, an even effort last out, earned a 58 buyer speed figure, which is probably a good enough effort to get into contention here, but um, this horse doesn't exactly warm your heart. No. You know, that's that's it's going to be it's going to be a race where you you're really you're really holding your breath until this thing plays out. Uh, the five laser jet, of course, for our friends at 10 strike racing is a homebred out of Ant dot dot, which makes her a half of course, to, uh, to the one and only dot matrix. Nope. Dot, dot matrix was not by Freud. I don't believe, or was he? Cause this course could be a three quarter sibling. I think he's a three quarter. I think she's a three quarter sibling to dot yeah. matrix. Um, and, and you know, she hasn't really run well in, in her last two starts, but actually she ran fine two starts back. She didn't do any running last time at all. Um, maybe didn't care for the inside. I don't know. Maybe just need softer competition. It, it, it kind of feels that way. I think the blinkers coming off probably will help too. She doesn't really have a lot of speed. She'll be able to settle and make one run. So, um, it's a situation where I do think you, you have to use her. It's just too much class relief to overlook. And then you have a horse like the three Juno S who's a Wesley Ward homebred debuted against maiden special weight foes. Didn't really do any running. His horses really didn't do much running at Kentucky downs and, um, and maybe she'll improve now with experience and, and a little bit more ground. Eight, five, three. Does that sound like the, or, or would you put the five on top? I'd put the five on top just from a value perspective. Yeah. And indeed uh, it is in fact a, a, a three quarter to the, the, the foundation, we, what do we call her? The foundation mayor of, uh, of 10 strike racing, the, the, the 10 strike racing blue hen. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's been, uh, it's been fun rooting for those guys this year. It'd be fun to see them uh, go out a winner, even if it's in the, this maiden, maiden 30 out at, uh, out at Turfway. Definitely some interesting storylines to follow and some races to bet. Where else will your eye be this weekend? I know we've got, uh, we've got the all-turf pick threes coming up at Gulfstream. We're going to be covering those in separate shows. There's a mandatory uh, payout uh, of, the, of the pick six at, uh, at Gulfstream as well that's, that's paying out on Saturday. Um, you know, four stakes there. Lots of good stuff. Uh, lots of good stuff in South Florida, too, for folks to pay attention to. Anything else you're going to be paying particular attention to? No, not terribly. I mean, obviously, in advance of San Anita opening, uh, it'll be a little, little Gulfstream, little, little fairgrounds, and uh, that should be more than enough, I think, with the holidays approaching. And then we'll get back going on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, excited to do our show, which will be going live on Saturday for San Anita opening day. That will double as the fifth anniversary show uh, for In the Money Media. And Nick, got to thank you here publicly at the end of the year for all the fantastic work you've done, not just on the mic for us, but uh, doing a great job covering New York day in, day out. I know you get a little break now, but we're eagerly looking forward to getting you back doing that in 24. Thanks for all you do. You bet. Absolutely. Glad to be part of it. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to a, a lot of great content again next year and being a part of all of it again. So plenty of uh, plenty of bright days ahead. We've got our next segment and it's coming up right now. Last but not least, we turn our attention to the Far East and some exciting wagering action. Late night wagering action on this holiday weekend. To talk about it with us, we bring in our man. He's from Woodbine, but he often talks about the JRA on these airwaves. Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what do we have in store this weekend? Yeah, a little bit of uh, holiday action, if you will, Pete. Uh, we have the, I think, a real 
Christmas Delight, uh, just before Christmas, and that's the form of the uh, Grade One remake. Keenan, this is the interesting race that you know they have a few of these in the, in, per year in Japan, but this is the kind of year-end championship for you know, the three-year-olds and up horses. And the interesting fact about the remake Keenan is is the, the fans actually vote the horses in, so all of the nomination, all the nominations and horses that are in here are all voted in by the fans. So. So cool. It's always interesting to see who they vote for. Uh, usually, I think Equinox took the the, the heart of the the voting, but uh, obviously he's retired now. So we'll, we'll you know turn our attention to those that are left. And this is a very 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 salty group. Yeah, it is, and some very familiar names here: the likes of Sharyar and, and Title Holder and Doduce and uh, Justin Palace. Very curious. The betting looks absolutely wide open at the bottom of the market. I guess that makes sense for a race like this with, with Equinox not uh, choosing to take part. At least in the early betting, though, I was shocked to see the number on 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 Sharyar. He's not really going to be some giant long shot, is he? Well, I think in Japan he actually may be just because of the, you know, the fact that I, I think they'll obviously, I think we all, we all know how well he ran in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but then when you have, you know, horses in Japan that have been running as well as they have in the form of, you know, Justin Palace and, you know, Doduce, who, interesting enough, I'm not sure if you, not sure if you saw the numbers there for yourself, but he's actually the favorite now in Japan, Doduce, which is interesting because, you know, he hasn't, in my opinion, justified being favored in this race. But again, it's still early days. But, you know, you have the developing three-year-olds, you have horses that are probably on their way out. And then you have, you know, the, the four-year-olds turning five-year-olds that, that, you know, probably will be, take a lot of the action, obviously in the form of Dodis and most importantly, Justin Palace in this race. Very, very interesting. In terms of value, where are you, uh, where are you looking? I can't imagine you get a get off your old pal Charyar at these, at the kind of numbers that I'm seeing. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll have a, a little bit on him, but for me, I'm just more concerned with, with the travel pattern that Charyar had. So those you, those that didn't know, you know, he obviously ran that uh, bang up race in the Breeders' Cup, almost won it there that day, and then instead of being aimed toward Japan Cup or any other races in, in Japan, they actually aimed him towards Hong Kong, and while in Hong Kong, he shipped to Hong Kong, had a you know heart arrhythmia or something else that the, the vets detected there. So they had to kind of regroup, ship the horse back to Japan, and then aim him for this event. So. I think the horse has the class. He has everything there for him. I'm just very worried about the fact that he's gone from America to Hong Kong and back to Japan. And then, you know, to have him to have him ready to go against some of the monsters in here, I, I think is a big ask. But it's all about risk and reward. And I think you'll have some, some very good odds on Shariar. You know, he, he may be just because of the North American pools and those that you know we're used to seeing him in the Breeders' Cup turf. He'll probably be. In my oh. opinion, is on, on the high end of the single single digits, but still, yeah. it, I, I prefer Pete if I were to have my you know double digits, and I, I'd have a lot more <laughs> willingness to say, yeah, sure, I'll I'll I'll, I'll bet Shariar there. But listen, at the end of the day, his body of work is quality. But he, like I said, he has to have. He's going to face a lot of toughies in here. It's it's no easy feat, that's for sure. And you make great points. I mean, I would assume physically, obviously, everything has got to be back going in the right direction for him to be considered for here. It'd be no shame at all to put him away for the season. So just one to keep an eye on anyway yep. in terms of how the wagering shakes out. What are you leaning towards right now in terms of a top pick here? Um, you know, for me right now, I, I, and like I always say to you, I always hate being a chalk eating weasel, but I think, you know, Justin, Justin Palace is probably the one I'm looking at here. You know, this is a four-year-old half-brother to Palace Malice. And interesting enough about Palace Malice, 
He actually was purchased, and he'll stand at stud in Japan next year as well as Yoshida. So that's two American stallions that we'll see over in Japan and have to we can follow their you know career trajectory as stallions over there. Uh, and you know, Palace Malice also had a very talented winner last week uh, in the farm of Jantar Mantar, who's a two-year-old. So you know, interesting, interesting pedigree there for the, for, for Justin Palace. You know, one who continues to prove with age was second last time out behind Equinox. I, I can't fault any horse who's going to finish nope. second behind Equinox in that uh, world record mile and a quarter in the Grade One Ten Show Autumn. You know, and and while his last two defeats to Equinox were very good efforts, he'll he's not going to face any Equinoxes in here. And the, and the good thing about the fact for Justin Palace for me is that I've always thought that he's going to be much better longer. You know, he was the winner of the Tenno Show Spring at two miles this past April. You know, he's been freshened since that effort, and I, I, I like that. I like the fact that instead of going to Japan Cup, as many of the horses that faced Equinox in that Tenno Show went straight to the Japan Cup and faced Equinox again, he's his connection kind of said, you know what, we're good. <laughs> we, yeah. We've had enough of Equinox, so we're just going to regroup, uh, give him a little bit of a freshener, and pointed to this race as, as the top, you know, we'll say race for him at the end of the year. And the one cool thing, you know, looking at some of the stats is that, you know, horses coming out of the Tenno show straight to this race have, have you know, hit at about a 16% strike rate. And the last five have either won or finished second. So lots to like there for this horse. I think yeah. he's still a developing horse and we'll see a lot more of him next year. You know, and, and in terms of, you know, other selections for me or horses I'm, I'm looking at, really the the two of the three-year-olds are, are ones that are kind of catching my, my eye. You know, we have Tastiero, who was the 2023 Japanese Derby winner. You know, comes in off comes to this race off of a second place finish in the last duel of the Japanese Triple Crown, that being the Kikuku Show. No match the winner that day, but I, I feel that that may have been a little long for him. Uh, but I do think that you know he, he's one that is going to like the racetrack. Has had two starts over the racetrack with a you know Grade Two win, and then a second place finish in the Grade One Satsuki Show, which is the first leg of the, the Triple Crown in Japan. You know, he is on a kind of on again off again streak and this is race that he would be on again so lots to like about that and also lots to like about the, the rider change here and the fact that ryan moore hops aboard tastiera you know he, he, he didn't draw that well he's drawn towards the outside and i think at 13 so not great but i think the the fact that he draws out wide will, will get you know his he'll, he'll, his odds will improve in that in that you know in that sense if i feel and then also the fact that you know for the most part this you know usually because of the, the configuration of nakayama you really usually want to be a little bit more forwardly placed turning for home. So if you are a late closer, you're kind of up against it, unless you're a really good horse. You know, so he is tractable. I think he'll be in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then kind of make his run turning from home. And he's going to have to have, a, you know, uh, the race of his life here to beat some of these horses, but I think he's got a good shot. And if you look at another, you know, interesting horse for me, and that's the number one Soul Orions, uh, drew very well. We'll have Yuga Kawada, who's one of the top jocks in Japan aboard him. And and Pete, let me ask you if, you're, if you've heard this story before. Yeah. A lightly raced son of a lightly raced son of Kinnison Black, who was very strong in the three-year-old classics, but he's now starting to get the hang of things. Well, you know, yeah, I, I'm not going to say he's the next Equinox, but he's kind of following a very eerily the similar pattern. Is there? If you squint, you can see the pattern. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, again, like I said, he's uh, he's kind of you know same sort of very similar breeding to that of of uh, Equinox, being by Kinnison Black. Uh, again, one is the grade one Satsuki show and only his third career start, despite being very green, only lost in the derby by a neck to, to him. You know, and I, I think that, in my opinion, uh, his best option would probably be to drop out towards the back, try his luck, and then see if he can close from the clouds to win. Uh, he, he had, a, you know, if, if 
I'll, I'll copy the YouTube link when we put our, post our selections for this race on the In the Money uh, site for everyone to see. And his workout for this event was very, very good. So, you know, I, I think he's on his A game that day and uh, certainly one to watch. So, again, for me, it's going to be those three as kind of my top choices. You know, and if I'm going to have a few other horses in here to watch, you know, through seven seas, is it really a interesting mare for me? She was a late developing mare by Dream Journey. You know, she was the only horse this year, at least, to give Equinox any sort of scare when she, uh, you know, only lost by a neck to him in the Takazuki Keenan back in June. You know, I think it's kind of, you know, everyone questions that ride, and especially the fact that, you know, uh, Le Maire gave Equinox the kind of weird ride of just pulling him to the very back and then making that giant run on the outside. Uh, and and I, my, my gut feeling is that if through seven seas had a cleaner trip, she may have actually beaten Equinox that day. Again, that's up for debate. I understand that. Um, but again, just uh, had a great effort that day against uh, Equinox and some others in here. She also beat Justin Palace in that race. And then, you know, was no shame when she finished a, you know, fast, fast closing fourth in the arc to yeah. the very talented Ace Impact. So, you know, I, I think the fact that, you know, through seven seas is is still developing as a, as a you know, as a late developing five-year-old mare. Uh, she is also one that's going to enjoy running at Nakayama. She has three wins from seven starts and has yet to finish out of the top three at that racetrack. So home field advantage for her. You know, jockey, the, the jockey aboard her, uh, Kenichi Kazoga, was, was also, you know, aboard her for that effort in the Takotuka Keenan, so reunites with her. You know, running style won't be the greatest. You know, she's another late closer, but I think the talent is certainly there for that mare. And then, you know, as we mentioned before, but really the only other horse I, I think that I'm going to be looking at for really filling out the, uh, we'll call it the, the top five in the race, is uh, Dodus. He's the 2022 Japanese Derby winner. He's had a numerous setbacks this year, you know, started 2023 with an impressive win in the grade two Kyoto Keenan before the trip to Dubai, you know, went, went to Dubai. And the interesting thing for me about him going to Dubai was, you know, traditionally I thought they're going to point him for the Shima classic and that may make, you know, that make him going up against Equinox, but instead they, they aim for the Dubai turf, which is, you know, at mile and eight. So interesting with that part there, because I'm kind of questioning at the end, you know, at the end of the day, does this horse really want to go this long? Yes, he is der- Derby winner, and, and yes, he beat Equinox uh, last year in the Derby. So again, well, I think there, there's quality. The quality is there. I, I also like the fact that his his you know usual rider Yutakataki, the legend, uh, is back aboard after he was injured. So you know he, he's not really a straightforward horse to ride. He's, he's, he was very fresh in his first two starts off of layoff, understandably after you know not running since uh, not like since you know. February after the Dubai debacle. So I, I think he's another one that just may be sneakily good. Uh, you know, obviously the odds in Japan say otherwise, and everyone's kind of backing him now, but uh, in the North American market, maybe his odds will uh, creep up a little bit. Yeah, these horses you're talking about are all catching some money, but we'll see what happens in the B pool. You know, obviously things can be different. One follow up on Through Seven Seas, a runner I was super interested in coming out of the arc. Has has she been laid out for this? I mean, was there another plan, and this is Plan B, or do you think they might have said after the arc that this was the, this was the target, as opposed to any of the other places she might have turned up, including the Breeders' Cup? Yeah, as you know, as I understood it, the, the main goal from the connections was was this event. Uh, you know, they didn't want her to run her back right away in the arc in the you know in the Japan Cup. That was a little too much too soon for her. So, you know, their their opinion was okay. You know, she ran a great F, she ran a great race in the arc freshen her up and then have her ready to go for this event. Um, and I, again, I, I think everything's 
everything about her is there's lots to like about her. Again, the only challenge for her as well as another one that's going to be right outside of her is they both drew 15 and 16, that being through seven seas and stars on earth. So that's the one bad thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about through seven seas. But again, it's, you know, it, uh, Kenichi Kazo will probably just pull her, take her back and then make that one run and, and we'll kind of make his own luck in running, I think. But, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world drawing 15, but it's not great. Let's just say that. I'm going to be keeping an eye on the price. The current price is probably short enough, but that's one I might be very interested in off the back of that arc run. Of course, I'm biased towards the races that I saw, uh, you know, and bet more on. I've seen the back form of most of these, but in terms of like, you know, the, 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 those Western races, maybe I'm giving maybe I'm giving some of these runners too much credit who uh, who ran in France and the U.S., but uh, I'm very, very interested to see how the odds develop and very, very interested, Klaus, to read your and the team's analysis that will be up at inthemoneypodcast.com on Saturday, the 23rd. These races will be happening uh, in the wee small hours, early morning, Christmas Eve, as uh, Santa is, uh, is, is, making the, uh, is, is making the rounds here. Uh, we're getting ready to make the rounds in, in, in another part of the world. We'll, uh, we'll have this racing to, to watch for us. So it, it, should be, uh, it should be very exciting. I always enjoy having grade one action, certainly the best racing qualitatively happening before the, the Christmas holiday. And then obviously we'll hit the ground running once again with, with Santa Anita on the 26th. We've got it all covered for you in various aspects of the network. But class, very happy to have this, uh, this visit with you. And we've got another one next week. Yeah, one more before the end of the year. That's the grade one hopeful stakes at a mile and a quarter. And we'll see the two-year-olds there. And and certainly, yeah, we're uh, we're winding things down. And then we'll we'll do it all again in February and, and launch with the February stakes. That's going to be fun as well. Very pleased, class, to be working with you again on uh, for, for 24. I've just gotten so interested in this Japanese racing. And boy, what a time it's been to do it with some of these superstars we've seen in the past few seasons. Thanks a lot for your time, class. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete, and all the best for the holidays. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks once again to Klaus and to Nick and to all of you for listening, making these shows so much fun to do. Thanks also to our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Donate generously to their excellent cause at trfinc.org slash players. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.